Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet, a betting site with a difference. Not only are we offering the best available odds on a United win, we've also got exclusive special bets created by Reds. And as we share half our net profits with the United supporters community, no matter what, the fans can always end up winning. Check out our website, redarmybet.com, or download the app, Red Army Bet. About fans, by fans, for fans. Manchester is bouncing with the Stone Roses and the Happy Mondays. United draw Arsenal in the League Cup. It's a terrible draw. United are the 10th best team in the country. We go to Arsenal away, 6,000 United. I take a day off school. We get lifts down to Arsenal. We stand on the clock end terrace. We do not think Manchester United are going to win. Only a month before, there'd been a big battle at Old Trafford between Manchester United and Arsenal players. Manchester United go 1-0 up, 2-0 up, 3-0 up at half-time. It's the best performance anyone's ever seen. They've got an acid blue away shirt. Arsenal charge out in the second half, 3-1, 3-2. A young kid from the West Midlands who'd been signed from Torquay, scores once, scores twice, Lee Sharp gets a hat-trick. The United fans are singing 1-2, 1-2-3, 1-2-3, 4-5-2. Two. Danny Wallace makes it 6-2. To this day, it's one of the greatest ever cup matches that Manchester United played in. And this lad here was man of the match. Ladies and gentlemen, Lee Sharp. When you think of that game, Lee, I know you had other great moments in your career. Is that one of the best? Imagine if he says no. <laughs> Um, obviously, um, scoring a hat-trick at Highbury um, was, a, was a fantastic achievement. Um, to be fair, I don't think I played particularly great. I think I touched the ball about six times all game and three of those were a goal. Um, but it was, it was an unbelievable night, like you say, three and up at half-time. We get in the dressing room, everyone's laughing and joking and messing about and throwing things at each other and kicking balls at each other. And, and we come out second half, before we know it, before we even had a kick, it's 3-2, we think, oh shit, we're going to lose. Uh, and, and then we, we got to the other end, scored to make it 4-2, uh, which kills the tie, and we're making 6-2. So, unbelievable night, unbelievable cup when we beat Liverpool, Leeds, um, to get to the final then, we won't talk about the final, but uh, yeah, a, a magical night. How do you now look back on your Manchester United career? You've had decades to reflect. Of what was a, a pretty short period of your life, were you happy, were you unhappy? Did you look at the highlights, were you proud? Do you think you could have done more, you could have done less? Well, all, all of the above. Um, I, I think I was happy at times, I think I was very unhappy at times. I think I could have probably done more with a little bit of help. Uh, I, I certainly could have done a lot less coming from, from Torquay. Um, so so a, a mixture of emotions really. I think. Um, it's a fantastic club to be. I think when I first got there from Torquay, I realised it was probably the biggest family club that you can ever be involved with. The manager sort of took me around the ground, introduced me to the, the secretarial staff, the, the, the laundry ladies, the restaurant staff. Uh, you feel part of the club straight away. Um, I, was, I was looked after by the older players, Brian Robson, Paul McGrath, Steve Bruce. How did Brian Robson look after you? Because you once told me on the pitch, you were a young kid, you're 17 years old, you were getting bullied, but Robson looked after you. Well, I, I, I played, uh, I remember playing left back at Old Trafford, we played Tottenham on the day, and Paul Stewart gets the ball, uh, I got the ball on the edge of our box, and I pass the ball back to the keeper, and Paul Stewart, who's playing centre midfield for Tottenham on the day, comes in, puts his studs, straight down the back of my Achilles, I go to the floor, physio comes on, gives me the magic sponge, Robson wanders over. 
ruffles my hair. He said, uh, you're all right, kid. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm all right, Skipper. I'll carry on. It's not a problem. He said, come on, then, let's get this game going. Uh, about 10 minutes later, Gary Mabbott, the centre-half, puts a little trickly ball into the centre circle to Paul Stewart, who's just on the half turn. He lets the ball run past himself. He turns towards our goal and Robson comes in. Fucking whoosh. He takes ball first at a fair tackle. Studs then go shin high to about knee high. With a left uppercut to the solar plexus. <laughs> Paul Stewart goes horizontal. Lands like he's been shot. Screaming like a baby. Robson turns around to me and gives me a wink and goes, uh, Are you alright now, kid? I thought, Yeah, I'm going to get out of my way. He just snaps you were a young boy at, at Torquay. Your, your, your grandfather had taken you everywhere in his back, in his lorry as a, as a young man. Shh, you be quiet, please. And Torquay are a struggling team. They're getting crowds at 2,000. Manchester United do not normally recruit players from Torquay. What was your reaction when you were told that Manchester United not only were interested, but wanted to sign you? I, I think it's a, it's a bit of a mixture of emotions. I'm just sort of finding my feet in the fourth division as a 16-year-old kid. Uh, I'm starting to play a little bit for the first team. And then someone like Man United come in and you just think, uh, I'm going to go there, I'm going to play in the reserves, I'm going to get swallowed up. I remember telling my dad on the phone, I, I rang it was like three in the morning by the time he got home, it was a Friday night when I got told that they were in for me. Um, and uh, I rang my dad. No mobile phones, obviously. They're driving back to Birmingham after the game. And I rang my dad at 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, Dad, uh, the manager's just been around. I'm meeting Alex Ferguson and Archie Knox in the morning. Um, they want to take me to Manchester United. And, and there was just, I was expecting my dad to be doing cartwheels and screaming down the other end of the phone. And, and there was just a deathly silence. I went, uh, Dad, are you, are you still there? He, still, he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, I'm just a bit concerned that you know, you're going to go to this place, play in the reserves, get swallowed up by all the big names. and and everything that goes with it. Um, you'll sort of get kicked out of the game a little bit and, and get beat up a little bit and, and you'll never be seen again. You find your feet, you, you find a, a, a niche and, and you're playing really well. And, and I just said, but Dad, I've got, I've got to take this opportunity. He went, yeah, of course you have. He said, I don't understand that. He said, but my concern is that it's just a bit, it's a bit big for you at, at the age you're at and, and, the, and where you're at. Um, and, and when I got to Old Trafford and uh, I, I was putting the reserves to start with, um, and obviously a couple of interviews I got straight in the first team at 17 and, and it just really took off so fast, it was, it was incredible. You were earning £170 a week. <laughs> yeah, loads the big, of money. The big time. Less 40% tax. Right. <laughs> and £50 digs I was paying. But you did get a £5,000 signing on fee. I did. What did you spend that on? I bought a car. <laughs> <laughs> I, bought, uh, I bought an escort car that uh, I drove for about two months and I was driving back to Birmingham one day and as soon as I got over 75 mile an hour, the bonnet used to flip up on the motorway. <laughs> so I sort of got, got my head out the window, driving the car down the motorway, trying to pull over. Uh, and we got it tested in this garage and I found out it was actually two cars welded into one. So it was an absolute death trap. So, uh, so I ended up buying my mum and dad's newer escort, if you like, uh, a bit of a diesel car because I was up and down the motorway to two and from Birmingham. Um, so we signed on fee, went on that, and uh, that was as much as I had to show for it. And then things took off pretty quickly, and you get to New Year's Day, I think 1989 or 90. Liverpool come to Old Trafford. Liverpool were the best team in the land. 
Manchester United put a very young side out and absolutely battered them. We did, yeah, that, that was the first sort of, I suppose, Fergie, you've got the class of 92, but before the class of 92, there was the Fergie fledglings. Mm. There was uh, Russell Beardsmore, Mark Robbins, Lee Martin, Daniel Graham, uh, David Wilson was one of them, uh, myself. Uh, and, the, and the manager was, was short on numbers on players. He had a couple of injuries, he put us all in. Um, and, and we just sort of, we had nothing to lose. We just went out there, played 100 mile an hour, gave it our best shot, and, and we sort of ran all over Liverpool a bit. Three, was it 3-1 at home yeah. in, the, in the cup? Uh, managers scored a bit of a scrappy ricochet goal in the, in the Stretford end. Uh, and, and that was, I think that was the start of the manager trusting in young players and, and, and this, you know, Sir Matt Busby had done it with young players and our manager previous to, to, to Ferguson had done it. Um, and, and it's just become a bit of a, a sort of standard bearer for, for United and, 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 the, and the fact that they trusted young players and, and gave them all a shot. I remember you telling me that Paul Ince and Gary Pallister had joined the club and their preparation included having miniature bottles of brandy, <laughs> yeah. which they take a little swig off before a game. I mean, this wasn't that long ago, and Manchester United's first team players are drinking brandy as they run out onto the pitch. Apparently, it was just a little warm up. A warm up. It got, it got people's blood, the, the juices flowing, give them a bit of a bit of a glow on before they went out. But yeah, there, there used to be a little. Uh, a little box of miniature bottles of brandy, about 12 bottles of brandy, uh, and half a dozen so of the players would just neck a, neck a quick shot of brandy before they went out. Incy, Pali, Robbo, um, not that it would make them pissed or anything, but it would uh, certainly put them, put them in a, a good frame of mind before they went out. You were a boy about town. I can remember being a young lad in Manchester, and before Giggsy and, and Beckham came, you were a lad about town. What was it like being in, in Manchester, being a young, Manchester United player, you must just get so much attention. Is that difficult as, as well? Not really. I think I think I think for me, grow, growing up as a football, growing up as a football fan, I, I was a Villa fan as a kid. I'm from the Midlands. I used to watch Tony Morley, Gary Shaw, these ball playing, entertaining players that got you on the edge of your seat. I used to stand in the halter, not not often. I wasn't a sort of Die hard week after week. I was the in the eighties. Remember, there was a lot of trouble and yeah, crowd trouble. Yeah. We used to have to catch three buses across town to get to Villa Park from where I live. So my mum didn't really like me going. Um, but we used to stand on the old end and, and, and the atmosphere on the old end at the time. And remember, Villa won the, the league and the, and the European Cup at the time. So it was an amazing team to be a part of. Um, and, and I just remember thinking, I just want, I just want to take people on, get people on the edge of the seats make the ticket worth the price that you're paying for and send people home entertained. And, and um, it, was, it was never about money, it was never about uh, medals, it was all about the entertainment for me. And I thought if I can do that for someone that's coming that's buying a ticket and I can send them home happy, that's what it, it was all about for me. And, um, if I could do my job properly, then, then everyone would be happy. Do you know that United fans have a song for you? Yeah, I don't know the words though. It was. So it's dance, dance, wherever you may be. We signed the young kid from Torquay. He soon settled in, he soon made his mark. He is a boy that we called Lee Sharp. Lee Sharp was so professional along with his teammates, they used to go into the Priory pub after training close to the cliff. 
Saturdays, a cheesy club beneath the Britannia Hotel. You were too young to get in, but you would show your Manchester United players pass. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, there's a few. We, everyone, everyone at the time used to get a Manchester United players pass. Um, so that when you turned up on match day, uh, if anybody asked you for a ticket or anybody tried to stop you getting in, you just show your pass and say, yeah, I'm a player. Obviously, because you, you're sort of a young lad, reserves, 18, big team, all schoolboys and all that stuff. Sort of um, you didn't get given a ticket, you just got given a pass when you signed. So that got us in, and that, and that would get us into the nightclubs in town as well, which sort of, which sort of was a bit of a bonus for me. You were the PFA Young Player of the Year, 1991, superseding Matt Letizier and preceding Ryan Giggs. Um, you played in a brilliant cup run, Cup Winners' Cup 1991. The final was in Rotterdam. I remember asking you about this, you were playing a great Barcelona team, the team which a year later would become European champions. And I asked you what it was like and you said, I shit myself in Rotterdam. Oh, you I, were frightened. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was the, I was 19 years old, um, I, I'd, had a, I'd had a pretty good season uh, and all the sort of press and, and, and all the story before the game was, can Barcelona look after Lee Sharp? And I'm a 19 year old kid thinking, they shouldn't be talking about me. There's Brian Robson, Mark Hughes, you know, all these players in the team that they should be talking about. They shouldn't be talking about me. Um, and, and I can see interviews with Ronald Koeman and, and Michael Laudrup and all these players about, who, you know, where are you going to deal with Lee Sharp? And, and I'm thinking, that's, that, that's not even me. Lee Sharp is some alter ego. That is not me. I, I can't even equate the same sort of person. Um, and, and I had to shit myself. And Brian McClare came up to me after the game and said, listen, you just looked like you were a rabbit in the headlights before the game and didn't know what was going on. I didn't particularly think I had a good game. Brian Robson came off and said, you're absolutely fucking brilliant. Your defensive role, you played really well and it was a tough game for us. And um, you, you did a great job for the team. And um, It was an unbelievable night. I mean, United had probably three quarters of the stadium. There were flags and flares going off. It was absolutely pissing down all night. It was a proper Manchester night. James, the song, oh, sit down. It still rings in my head now. I still get goose pimples when I hear that song. It was absolutely the most incredible atmosphere I've ever known. And, and, to, go, and to go and beat Barcelona as underdogs with, in particular, a goalkeeper in Les Seeley yeah. that nearly lost his leg yeah. to gangrene yeah. two days before. Yeah. And as a team, we said we're going to defend deep and look after the goalkeeper so that he can play and still go on and win. It was just a mark of the character of the team and, and the, the strength of the players that were in the, in the side, it was unbelievable. 
So that was 91. Did you feel then that the team are going to come close to winning the league for the first time since since 67, as going into the next season? And then it ended pretty badly, didn't it? Yeah, I think that European Cup Winners' Cup final gave us the confidence that we could go on and, and win things and achieve things. And To be fair, you know, a, a lot of people will, will probably say I'm a little bit bitter or I've got it wrong but all the rest of it but, but the, the year we lost the league to leave we lost the league because of the manager right the manager obviously knew and felt the pressure from not winning the league for 26 years uh, we, we, we came into a, we came into what the manager always calls twitchy bum time and he pulled all the lads into the dressing room and the training ground says this is what we've got we've got six or five or six games left this is what it's come down to and the manager was really nervous he was, he was sort of clearing his throat <coughs> and spitting and his hands were sort of clamping, he clamped his thumbs behind his back and that fed down to the players. The players got nervous and we ended up not playing as well as we, we should have done and getting beat by Leeds for the league. The season after the first Premier League, exactly the same happened again. The manager came in really nervous, coughing and spitting uh, and the lads were, were all starting to feel the nerves again. And then the manager left the dressing room, the first Premier League we won. Uh, and Brian Robson stood up and went, right, we're not going to listen to the manager this year. We all got nervous and fed off his nerves last year. We're not going to do it this year. What we're going to do is we're going to do this, this, this and this. And we're going to go on and we're going to win this league. And that's exactly what we did. And, and Brian Robson and Steve Bruce, our two senior pros, stood up and backed the lads and just, and just give them what we needed. And we went on and, and won our first title. It was, uh, it, was, it was brilliant. It's incredible what you're telling us that the players won the league because the manager was so so nervous. I think you are. I think without Brian Robson, I, I don't think we would have won the Premier League, the first Premier League we won. I really don't think we would have won it. I think the way he dominated games, he dictated the pace of games, uh, he got the best out of every player on the pitch. Um, he, he, he nurtured, he cared for, he, he, he was a leader, he, was, uh, he, he led by example. Uh, it was just an incredible, incredible player. And you ask anybody that has ever played with Brian Robson, whether it be Man United, West Brom, uh, England, they'll all tell you what an unbelievable player he was and what a leader. And, and he was worth two players. He was, I mean, they all talk about holding midfielder, uh, attacking midfielder these days. Brian Robson was both. Brian Robson tackled on the edge of his own box. He broke down defences uh, and, and then went up the other end, scored, created goals, was absolutely... He, he, was a, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal, he was way above his time. First person to ever have a seven-year contract. Uh, I think Juventus come in for him and Rackinson said, you're not going. So he might want a seven-year contract. The kids are in school. Um, it, it, uh, it's going to settle me down and give me security. He, he thought outside the box. He saw the game differently to everyone else and was just uh, on another level. How, how important was it, was it to get a maverick like Well, Cantona added the sort of icing on the cake, if you like. We, we were an unbelievable team. It was an aggressive team, a quick team, a strong team. Uh, every, everybody could kick people. Everyone was re really aggressive. The only people that couldn't kick people was myself, Giggsy, and Kunchelskis. We were the ones getting kicked. And, and if we got kicked and someone else hadn't kicked them back for us, at half-time, the manager would come in and go, why has he not been kicked? He's kicking shit out of Andre, he's kicking shit out of Giggsy, why has he not been kicked? And the lads would go, right, I'll sort it out. And the lads would go and kick them for us. 
And then Cantor came in and added that little bit of extra nouns, that little bit of arrogance, that little bit of belief, uh, and that little bit of, uh, believe me, Eric Cantona was shit sometimes for, for, 80, for 85 minutes. And, and believe me, I know the manager let him off with murder. The players didn't. He'd get in the dressing room, he'd have Robson, Schmeichel, Hughes, Ince, Keane, like, fucking Cantona, fucking sort yourself out, otherwise we're going to knock you out. We keep getting you the ball, you keep giving it away, you keep fucking doing that, we're going to knock you out. And he'd be like, all right, all right, I know, I know, I know. And then five minutes before the end, he's given the ball away all game, he's flicked it here, France done it there, flicked it there. All of a sudden, five minutes before the end, bam, 1-0, Cantona. He wins us the game. Thank you very much. And that's, that's what Cantona brought to the, to the team. He brought that extra little bit of je ne sais quoi, let's say. He was, he was, he was magical. He was magical. And yet, you were the one with the fan club where 2,000 young, mainly girls, would turn up to Royale's, which staged Love Train. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was a weird concert. I mean, I was, I, was, I was sort of getting quite a bit of fan mail. And, How much fan mail were you getting? Uh, I don't know. I was probably getting, you know, like a post-bag sack, sort of about this sort of high and, and like a big sack. I was probably getting like that a week. Um, did you open them? Did you read them? I, I, I opened some, and I'm, ter I'm terrible. I'm still, I'm still the same. I don't answer letters. I don't open my post. Um, and, and a mate of mine just said, "Listen, why don't we do a fan club? Um, we get, a, we get a couple of people to open your letters, and we'll do a cassette. Uh, a cassette. That's how long ago it was. We'll do a cassette. Uh, we'll do a cassette message every month, and we'll send them a letter, and we'll send them a couple of gifts, and this and the other. And then once or twice a year, the supporters' coaches used to bring the fan, the fans up." from different areas of the country. They'd do a, a, a visit around the Man United Museum, around the ground, do a bit of a tour, and then we'd go to discotheque reals at two o'clock in the afternoon. We'd have a barbecue outside. We'd have a couple of local bands that would, it would help support them, because they've obviously got a couple of thousand people watching them. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of bands would come and play. We'd have a bit of a DJ. All be done by five o'clock in the evening. All the kids would go off home and the coaches uh, back home for sort of six, seven, eight o'clock. Uh, and, and everyone's had a good night, and uh, it was it was kind. Funny thing was, I had uh, I had David Beckham turn up to one of the fan club discos, and uh, I'm sort of I don't know 20 years old. David Beckham's probably about 17, 18, just touching the first team. And there's two and a half thousand screaming girls, all from about age from 13 to about 17. Uh, and then they're all screaming away, we've got the bands on, we've got the DJ playing, and this whole place is absolutely rocking, the place is bouncing. And David Beckham turns to me and says, fucking hell, Sharpie. He said, you're a legend. He said, I'm never going to have anything like this, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I went, I went, probably not. <laughs> you had your ups and you had some downs as well, you had some... Pretty debilitating illnesses when you're a Manchester United player. Yeah, I had, I had a bad case of uh, viral meningitis, which took on the form of a, a stroke, which paralysed my left side, and I couldn't speak properly, and speech went slurred, and I was sick for two days, and then on a drip for two days. And, um, so it was, it was a little bit concerning. But I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I was in the hands of good doctors. They said it's a viral meningitis. It's not uh, the serious one that's going to sort of lose a limb or lose, a, lose your sight or, sight or anything like that. So, so I trusted the doctors and I knew I was going to get right. It was just a matter of time. I lost a lot of weight. Um, 
Uh, I was pretty ill for three or four months at the, at the start of the season. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty philosophical with life and, and you just deal with what's in front of you and, and crack on. So United are back in Europe, they're playing in the Champions League, you play against Barcelona. You scored a fantastic goal in front of the Stratford end, that little flick. It wasn't the Stratford end actually. Sorry. Other end, it was the other end. Right. Uh, yeah, that, that was, that's probably my favourite goal. I think the, uh, the, the occasion, you know, we, we've never been beaten at home in Europe. We go one and up. We're sort of cruising for the first 20, 25 minutes. Um, second half, they come out and absolutely pump us. Romario is ridiculous. Um, Pally and Bruce, you can't get hold of him. Uh, we go 2-1 down. And then about 15, 20 minutes to go, Inti wins the ball and slips it to Keeney. Uh, and I see Keeney go down the line. And I sort of make a dash across the fullback as you do to try and get across the fullback. And Keeney squares it. And it's slightly behind me, so it's not a very good ball. It's a, it's a pretty shit ball, to be fair. Not that I would tell Keeney that, because he'd probably knock my head off. Um, and, and as it's come through, I'm thinking of hitting it with my right foot. And the defender slides in front of me, and I'm thinking, shit, I can't do that. So I have to let it go between my legs and, and back heel it, and it just nestles in the bottom corner. And I just thought, what, what, you know. Life is beautiful. On a, be on a European night, under the floodlights, on a nice, greasy, perfect pitch, with a full house at Old Trafford, life does not get much better than that, let me tell you. Last five minutes now, Widley. Who was the biggest prankster who you played with? Who was the joker? Who made you laugh the most? Uh, funnily enough, not, not so much a prankster, but actually really funny, was Keeney. Keeney was, uh, well his nickname in training was the Schizo. <laughs> so he'd come into training and I sat next to him in the training ground uh, and he'd be really funny in the dressing room, but then cross the white line he would be an absolute psychopath. So he's absolute split personality from, from one second to the next. And, and he could laugh and joke with you and take the piss out of everyone. And, uh, he, he was a little bit brutal at times in his yeah. humour, yeah. Um, but, but really funny, I got on really well with him. And then cross that while on, we, we used to play a lot of eight versus eight in training. So ten passes as a goal, uh, goalkeepers are over there doing their thing, playing catch. Um, and, and we're playing ten passes a goal and losing team as a forfeit. And if Keeley's on your team and Keeney comes towards you and shouts for the ball and you pass to another one of your teammates, so you've not given the ball away, you've just not passed it to Roy when Roy's asked for it, then generally, Keeney's going to shoot your dad, rape your mum, kidnap your kids, fucking want your family out, <laughs> just because you've not passed it. That's how the aggressive you are. Who is it But what a player, what a player. Best player you played against? Um, I think Romario would be up there, but um, for, for regularity, I think, I think Paul Gascoigne. Paul Gascoigne for Tottenham, Newcastle, I think, was, was, just, uh, was just unplayable on his day. Gaz was, was phenomenal. I mean, he, he had a burst of pace over five yards that got him past anybody. He was all elbows in people's faces, so you couldn't get near him tackling-wise. His ability to see a pass and to, to go past people was phenomenal. Um, he, he was just a, a, a really wish. That is my one thing. I, I just really wish he would have come to Old Trafford. I think he would have been absolutely sensational. What was the greatest moment in your football career? Too, too many to mention. I think, um, I think the hat-trick at Highbury, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup final, the first Premier League, first England cap. Uh, I, think, I think there's too many to, to pick one out. Uh, actually signing for United in the first place at 17 from Torquay was unbelievable. Um, 
I, I would have no idea which one I could pick out of all of them. What about your low point? Low points are a few. I, th I think I think for every footballer, there's there's always a low point. And that's injury. You know, whatever injury you get, whether you're out for a couple of weeks with a calf strain, or whether you're out for a couple of months with with sort of meningitis, or I've been out for a season with with a with a cruciate ligament in my knee. Um, it doesn't matter. Once you're out and you can't train, and you're sort of away from the lads and you're away from the game, um, it's it's mentally crippling. It's, uh, it's it's devastating. How would you describe your relationship with Alex Ferguson now, looking back? Um, I, I sort of understand where he was coming from. Um, I don't think he totally got the person that I was. I think he saw the surface of, of who I was. Uh, and the surface of who I was was because um, I, I was trying to be the person that everyone saw me as, I think. Everyone saw me as this full of life. Um, sort of uh, extroverted, flamboyant, uh, and, and it's all right doing that when you've, when you've done this, when you've just scored a good goal and you, you've scored a winner, and you go up to the corner flag and answer the fans, that's great, that's a, that's a 30 second scenario in a, in a sort of lifetime. Um, whereas really, uh, I, I, I always struggled with a bit of confidence and, and, and whether I was good enough to be in the team, uh, and the manager knocking me all the time and telling me I wasn't good enough, of a, of a person in power uh, who knew what he was talking about, always sort of, um, I was always battling with, with him and my, and my own performance and my own game and what I needed to do. So it was a bit of a, a, a double-edged sword really. I, I loved my time there, I loved the fans there, uh, I loved all the great times, but I, I, on, the, on the back of it, I was always battling with the manager uh, and, and trying to get to terms with, with what he was telling me of, of who I was and what he thought I was. I remember you telling me that you'd most enjoyed your football at, at Portsmouth because you felt you had freedom. Yeah, funnily enough, it was, uh, I, I played under Graham Ricks at, at Portsmouth and played centre midfield, funnily enough, where actually Alex Ferguson always said to me, you'll end up a centre midfielder. Um, and I, I went to Portsmouth, started on the left wing at Portsmouth, and Graham Ricks came in and said, listen, you're too good, we've not got good enough players to get the ball out to you, I want to move you inside where you're involved. Uh, and I played a lot of centre midfield and... Um, he, he just gave me the freedom and the confidence to, to just go and do what I wanted to do and, and play the game I wanted to play. Um, I, I think I had my best performances there, I had my best times there, uh, for, for football enjoyment that is. I remember him bringing me off, we played Huddersfield away, we were in the, in the first division or championship, playing Huddersfield, didn't particularly have a great game. Um, he brought me off with about 15 minutes to go uh, and I was, I was, he was well warranted, I was like yeah, yeah, fair enough. And he rang me up on the Sunday. He said, oh, you should obviously say it's the gaffer. I went, oh, hey, gaffer, what are you ringing me for? It's Sunday afternoon. He said, I just want to apologise for bringing you off yesterday. He said, uh, I know you didn't have a great game, but you were trying to do exactly what I was told to do, get the ball off the back four, carry it to the front two. He said, I know you give the ball away a few times, but you're still trying to get the ball. Um, okay. So you'll be playing next Saturday. I went, all oh, right, thank you very much. I rang my mum and dad, I went, that's the first time a manager has ever ran me the day after bringing me off, saying, you're going to play next week. You're one of my favourite players, and that was that was incredible for me. Uh, finally, because we're under pressure to, to leave this room now, just tell us what you're up to now. Uh, I do a little bit of after dinner speaking. Uh, we're just about to launch uh, a, a new app, a new football app for kids um, called Scorcher, which you're all going to have to get for your kids. You're going to have to. Uh, it's the it's like up to stats for your kids. You watch your kids play football. You put your stats in, and it gives you. A, it compares you to Premier League players and, and, and European players 
gives you diets and gives you training techniques and it's an amazing app. So we, we just about to launch that and uh, a couple of other things I've got going on. Just had two kids, which uh, just the two. He's working himself, 18 months and five months. So that's fucking hard work, let me tell you. Uh, that's, that's a full-time job. But other than that, no, just just uh, enjoying peace of life and then quietness and a bit of golf and, and doing as little as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, Lee Sharp. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet. We offer the best available odds on a United win as well as a host of special bets created by Red. With half our net profits being donated to United supporters groups, Red Army Bet is about fans, by fans, for fans. Check out our website redarmybet.com or download the app. Red Army Bet, we all follow United.